Welcome to the Supply Chain Pioneers Podcast, where we highlight industry leaders on the forefront of innovation and technology in planning, procurement, and logistics. Hosted by your supply chain pro to know, Ulf Venn. Welcome back to Supply Chain Pioneers. This week we have David Schilling Ford. He's a supply chain technology expert, an advisor, an entrepreneur, and also an investor. In addition to all of that, he's a passionate gardener. You will hear more about this at the end of the episode. He's a very interesting character. You will like his story. He started in the military, then went into the insurance world, and from there had an outside in view of supply chain and understood that data and analytics is missing here to manage risks properly. And that is how he built a thesis, worked together with investors, and founded a company around that. Super interesting story, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Supply Chain Pioneers. And today I have my good friend, David Schillingford, with me. Welcome, David. Hey, Ulf. Great to be here. David is a great pioneer in supply chain, and he, he really came from outside, looked at what we did here, and understood that data and analytics is a really important part of the business. Today, we want to talk about this story. And we'll start with a short introduction, David. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So David Schillingford, I've had a what you might call a fairly non-linear career. Started off in, in the British Army, then was in New York with a firm that was recovering stolen art. Then got involved in a, in a few data and analytics startups, worked for a large data analytics company that acquired one of those companies. And for the last five to 10 years have been working in the area of supply chain analytics. Yeah. So essentially you get from the British army to stolen art, to data analytics, and then to supply chain. So my question is, <laughs> what, when did you realize supply chain is going to be what you want to focus on? How did that happen? So um, I, I don't think there was ever really a point where that was uh It was a deliberate decision. I think I can kind of look back on it and find some some threads that that connect my bizarre journey, which generally is risk using data and intelligence and and analytics and and really everything I have done, even if it doesn't sound much like that, has had those components uh, as part of it. But and you know you can choose. I think any career, what really underpins it is is the people. And the different people that have been instrumental in, in making things happen that I've been involved in and the relationships that I've, I've built over the years. Actually, one of the, the key, as you said, focus points is analytics. And at one point, you looked at this very complex puzzle that is supply chain management. And you thought to yourself, data and analytics is really missing here to be better in what, what is happening on a daily basis. What was your thought process? Well, as, as you say, I, I was kind of an outsider. I wasn't supply chain professional my, my whole career. And it really started with what we were doing with insurance companies in some of our, our previous companies and, and that they were talking about supply chain risk and, and the opportunity that, that they saw to deploy more capital in transferring supply chain risk from large corporations into, into the insurance industry. And that project got us to a point where we realized relatively quickly that the insurance companies didn't have the data that was necessary to do that. 
And so we went to the insurance brokers. They didn't have the data. We went to the companies themselves. And it was at that point that we discovered that, that even they didn't have the data, or at least they didn't have the data in one place or in a way that would be meaningful to be able to describe their supply, supply chain, which to an outsider was, was kind of a bit of a surprise. And as we learned more about them and got to know them and started talking to them about some of the things that the insurance industry did to, to, to measure and predict risk, there seemed to be an opportunity to bring certain elements of traditional risk management into supply chains to really on day one, not, not be about insurance or transferring risk, but actually to help companies manage and plan their supply chains more effectively. So that, that was really kind of how we got into uh, thinking about this problem. Instead of looking at insurance as the last option, looking at business continuity first from a vantage point of an insurer onto supply chain, which is quite interesting. So at one point you decided we, we need a company for that, right? An analytics company that focuses on supply chain risk. And you, you went out and you found a, an investor to help you fulfill that mission and vision. How hard was the process of convincing them to buy into your idea? Well, <laughs> it, I mean, it was hard and then it wasn't. And I'll explain what I mean by that because I spoke to a number of venture capital companies about this idea of just, just the, the observation that there were a few small companies that had started this journey towards creating supply chain risk analytics and, and that it was probably a case of trying to acquire more than one of them and bring them together that would, would get someone there the fastest. But the, these, it was really not the way that venture capital companies traditionally think in terms of a roll-up. And for the private equity companies that I spoke to, it was, it was really too small. Um, it became... And that was hard. And then we, I just went around in circles. It became easier when I was introduced to Columbia Capital because they take a different view. It, it's really not the traditional VC or PE approach. It's much more sort of, well, if the idea is big enough, let, let's just start and, and go down the journey and lead as many rounds as we need to to help the, the operators, the entrepreneurs get there. And And so then it was it, it was me and others and Columbia sitting around the table working out how to do this and, and how to do the thesis. So it wasn't me pitching, a, sending a pitch deck to a VC. It was me and others sitting around the table with Columbia Capital working out how to do it. So once we went down the path, it was it was everyone's idea. It wasn't, you know, one person had persuaded someone else that this was a good idea. We all thought it was a good idea. That's great. So now I want to pivot a little bit into more of the data and analytics portion, because you, again, you're an expert in that topic from many different areas. The first time I saw you, you already talked a lot about actionable insights and that being a key consideration for companies in the future. So I'm not sure everybody has heard of actionable insights. So could you maybe explain that a little bit and also why you think this is so important for supply chains in the future? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, it's not that I kind of thought it up or invented it, but it's a phrase that I like to use whenever I can, as, as, as you observe, because without action, insights have no value. And, and the point of an insight is, is, is to inform a decision and, and the decision results in an action. So if, if, if it's just insights, and of course, people, as, an, as a shorthand, they say insights, and what they really mean is actionable insights. But I think it's important to say that out loud because the process has to start with the desired outcome. And the desired outcome 
is in a supply chain where physical goods are being moved, it's going to re- it's going to require somebody to do something in the in the physical world. And quite often, that's that that's the challenge. There's a gap between the reality of that and what that takes, and whoever it is that's creating the insight. And if you can't connect the two, you can't take action. And without that, there's there's little to no value in the insights. Quick follow up question on that. In your in your time in the military, I think they 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 try to get as much information and therefore insight as they can, but they also always look to action on that, right? And is that something that kind of for you did that essentially shape your mind into that as thinking in this direction all the time? So I yeah, I think to to, to some extent, um, and as I said earlier, this idea of actionable insights and intelligence and risk has been a, th- a theme throughout what would otherwise looked like a pretty random career and yeah for sure in in in, in the military it, it, it's always about data it's all, always about intelligence and it's always about taking action and you're always acting on imperfect intelligence i mean that's fundamentally the you know that's what a decision is a decision is 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 doing something based on imperfect yeah. knowledge of, of the situation um and being able to do something faster Than the person next to you or the person that you're opposed to is is, is critical, and it's lessons like that that play out in supply chain. There's uh, a, a lot of fantastic supply chain leaders who are who are ex-military, and, and that's one of the things they take with them is just the ability to make a decision quickly or at the right time without necessarily all all of the information. And being able to act faster than your competition in supply chains is is a significant course of source of competitive advantage. Yeah. So moving to the next level, AI, which is now the topic everybody's talking about, we we see that AI starts to, people are looking at AI and thinking, okay, what could be the role there in supply chain management? You already are considering that for quite a long time. So it would be good to get your take on what role will AI play in the future? Great question, and yeah, as you say, it's on on everyone's lips at, at the moment. And that was part of the original thesis. We we believed AI was was already um, starting to impact certain industries and certain functions. And and part of the thesis was that you you need that type of advanced analytics to be able to understand the complexities of supply chains and the complexity of risk, and to be able to bring the two together to make decisions, to simplify decisions that would otherwise be impossible for, for humans to get to get their heads around. And I think there's an, an enormous amount of opportunity in and around supply chain where there's enormous amounts of data, enormous amounts of complexities that come out of the various dependencies that AI can help to, to simplify so that we can start to get insights that are actionable out of very, very large and sometimes, well, often messy sets of data, but at the other end, to be able to start to create insights that we trust enough to be able to automate certain processes. Um, and that's that's an enormous opportunity in supply chain because, and, and, and one that, that companies can invest around because if it takes a minute to do something that otherwise took two minutes, the ROI from that is is relatively easy to understand. Yeah. A good follow-up question here on the trust element. Do you think there's a, a huge opportunity also for companies to 
build out expertise in change management and supply chain, because we see a lot of people leveraging consultants on that right now, but digitalization will just grow more and more into companies. So is, is that something that you see will be more insourced in the future? There's, there's an enormous need for different types of consultant consulting in, in, in supply chain. And there's the, the, I would say that whenever we look at a technology or a technology project that, that hasn't done what it was expected for it to do in a company or across an industry, it, it's generally not because the technology didn't work. It's generally because of how the technology was employed and that the ecosystem that that technology was being brought into wasn't considered fully. Nobody started by saying, well, why are we doing this? What are the challenges? What, what needs to change that, that may be hard to change? And anything that humans did yesterday that needs to be different tomorrow, particularly if it's being done as a group of people, is, is very difficult. So I think there's opportunity for advice and expertise, whether it comes you know, internally or externally, for companies to, to really improve their approach to digitization by bringing in that kind of expertise in the right way at the right times. Next question, provocative question. Will AI take away jobs in supply chain management? Well, I mean, the short answer is yes, but a, a more optimistic spin on that is, but other jobs will be created and, and, and the jobs that will be taken away are the jobs that people don't enjoy doing very much because they're moving data from one spreadsheet to another or whatever they're doing. And that frees up somebody to do things that are more valuable and, and more interesting and things that are much harder for computers to do, like dealing with other human beings. So the automation really shouldn't be thought of as, as replacing humans, but it should be it should be thought of as enabling humans and, and allowing people to do more interesting and more valuable jobs so that there is there's more human interaction between say an OEM and a supplier rather than less. So people are taken out of that data crunching that at the moment is takes up so many hours and people aren't talking to each other and they can start talking to each other again because these processes can be automated and, and, and taken out. So I'm I'm excited about that. And I, it's gonna be it's gonna be a bumpy journey. It's gonna be tough. That that replacement doesn't happen uh, synchronously, but that, that's where I believe we're going to end up. Couldn't agree more. want to shift a little bit to right now. You're, you're now an advisor to companies uh, in the field of uh, supply chain management digitalization. What are companies that you're looking at right now with the lens of the advisor that make you really excited for the future of supply chain management? What are, yeah, what are some of these cool technologies out there? So... <laughs> I think the, the problem with that question is that what I think is cool doesn't sound very cool. <laughs> I think that, so the things that I, I'm, I'm excited about um, are, are really just very, very basic things, but without them or without getting them right, nothing else is going to work as, as well as it should. And so, you know, AI and blockchain and um, virtual reality and augmented reality, I, I you know, th those are great things that have huge potential. But if you if you don't have the different systems that a company uses connected to each other in the right way, for example, then that's 
everything else you try and do is going to be substandard. So any 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 company or any technology that is helping disparate systems be better connected together and to do that to do that more easily, I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm, I'm also excited, or, or I'm rather sort of, I'm, I'm concerned about the drive towards digitization and, and automation without thought for the, the infrastructure that has to sit underneath that. So if you think about the digital warehouse, it everybody we spoke to at Promat this year about all the amazing robots that were on display uh, came, came down to, yeah, but none of this is going to work with the type of cabling we've got in our warehouses at the moment, which again is very, you know, it's not very cool, it's but it's fundamental. Um, and without the right type of, sort of DC microgrids and fiber optic cabling networks in warehouses and DCs and fulfillment centers, the type of automation that, that companies are betting their future on isn't going to work or it's not going to work well or, or, or be optimized. So that, that's an area that I'm very interested in where companies can, can quickly retrofit uh, a, a facility so that they can have direct current DC microgrids, that helps with energy transition, it helps with sustainability, and to have fiber optic cabling so that they can scale into whatever level of automation that they that they need. Um, but that's, you know, of the, I don't know, however many thousand booths that we saw at Promat, there was not a single booth that was doing that. So th those are the kind of things that, that, that I'm excited about. And they, they kind of sit, they sit beneath the surface a little bit. And then we think about those types of things in, in, in from a vertical sense. And I, a lot of money and effort has been put into in-transit visibility and things that connect to that. I think the biggest opportunity is, is more where there is, a, where there is a transfer at the nodes, if you will, whether it's a, a yard or a warehouse or a port, because that's really where things are going wrong. It's where there is asynchronous activity. It's, it's where the ball gets dropped, if you will. And it's generally where two systems need to talk to each other where, where they're not. So th those are the types of things that, you know, you can look at ports and you can look at, uh, you know, warehouses and industrial clusters. And there's, there's, there's a lot of opportunity around that. So we're, we're talking to a lot of companies that uh, are involved in those types of activities that maybe are, a level or two underneath the work that companies like Everstream Analytics are doing. So essentially every time the the good gets touched, right, physically, that's also where there's the most danger for for, right. for the good itself. Yeah, I that's in a warehouse right. in a DC in a port that makes a lot of sense. Um, I've seen it a lot of times actually that th these were neuralgic points for, for shipment to go wrong. So we, we now see there are a lot of solutions. There's a lot of exciting things. Maybe some are more uh, foundational and infrastructural um, that uh, people can be excited about. But there are a lot of solutions out there in the market. You have scouted a lot of these in the past few weeks and months and years. If you now would be in an operational role as a professional and you get the task of uh, leveraging some of these technologies and make them interact with each other and build an IT strategy around that, what would be your advice? So I may be repeating um, a couple of things that I said. Yeah. First, first is to start with why. 
why, why am I doing this? What is, what is the outcome that, that I desire? And then to work backwards from there through the physical actions that, that need to be taken or need to be improved. And, and, and then the insights, what are the, what are the insights that I need or the automation that I desire? And to be thinking then about, well, what are the, what are the solutions that would best fit that based upon my environment and ecosystem? And then I'm going out and I'm talking to my peers uh, to find out what they're doing, either those who haven't done it yet or are thinking about it or have done it and they're a year, two years, three years in, into the journey. Um, and and that, yeah, that, that's a, a really important part of, of that. Um, and then just to, to, ha- to have the right type of conversation with, with, with the solution provider, who you know, they, they're going to be selling and, and, and really sort of bring them in as much as you can as, as a partner to have that, to have that difficult discussion, you know, a, a year before you go live rather than a year after you go live. And, it, and it's a difficult thing. It's a, it's a difficult thing to make happen uh, because someone's selling and someone's buying. Um, but at, at the end of the day, it's better for both parties if that, that level of candor can be before rather than after the sale. Moving again, topics uh I want to talk with you quickly about Pegasus Bridge, which is your company where you help military professionals join business and business environment. So what can companies and especially supply chain benefit from if they hire somebody out of the military world? Yeah, well, thank, yeah, thanks for asking about that and calling it a company, maybe, maybe overselling a little bit. Uh, but you know, whenever I whenever I um, can find time to help somebody who's leaving the military make that sometimes very difficult transition, I'll you know I, I will I will make the time, and and it's it, it's it's not just to help them; it's actually to help the employers as well because there are a, a ton of things that employers can benefit from by hiring people from the military, and not everyone in the world is. Is you know we're, we're, so there is there are some people who are amazing from the military and there are some th- people who uh, are not as amazing. So I'll, I'll start there. But by if I generalize a little bit, I would say that the when when you look at a, a company and what a company sort of says publicly about the things that matter to them, they're, they're generally going to talk about things that don't require a, a ton of training or skill or talent or industry knowledge. They're going to talk about values. They're going to talk about showing up on time. They're going to talk about, you know, knowing how to work with other people in a, in a team. Um, and it's those types of things that I think people come out of the military with an innate sense that that's a better way of getting from here to there. And I think it's good to talk about that in a, in a very sort of not what we call it, not the label, not to necessarily call it leadership or something like that, because people think of different different things when you use those words. But to be very specific about, you know, the ability to work with others and, and acknowledge that there are very, very few things that are done better alone than with the help of other people. And it's things like that that, that people leave the military with a very strong sense of. Um, and uh, I Everybody I know who's who's hired from the military has has been pleased about that. Um, but you, you need to you need to acknowledge that the people leaving the military are coming into a very very different uh, world, um, and you got to give them time to adapt, and you got to 
work with them to adapt, but it's it's worth it's definitely worth that process. Yeah. And there's a lot of experience I feel that um, especially if it comes to topics like supply chain risk management, something I'm passionate about, um, understanding how to operate and work in a crisis, even if it's, I mean, different types of crises, obviously, right? But staying calm, collected, and being rational about your decisions in these kinds of situations is something that I, I, I think is very valuable, actually. And we, we see that in, in security departments all over the world, right? Where people coming from military are hired exactly for that purpose, because they're, they, they have the ability to stay calm and collected in these situations. Yep, that's very true. It's very hard, very hard to stay calm in your first crisis. Better to hire someone who's already been through that a few times. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I will call you now a tech visionary, and I, I truly believe that. So my my last supply chain question is: uh, What makes you excited for the future of supply chain, especially in the next five to ten years? Well, it's a it's a very generous description, um, and you know, I I mean, I I think that augmented reality and robotics, and I, I think there's a lot of very very cool technologies out there that over time will allow us to um, to, to run supply chains very differently. Um, I was with a I was with a company in, in the UK this summer, um, and you know, it's a, it's a small, you know, a few hundred people, family business, um, but they've invested in robotics. Um, and it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a remarkable story because they are now a global company who can manufacture wherever their clients happen to be. And I, I, I use that as an example because the, the thing that I'm, I'm most excited about or most optimistic about is, is this idea of, shrinking supply chains and, and and to do that both geographically this idea of regionalization let, let's make things as close as we can to the client and at the same time think thinking really really seriously about circularity because we we cannot create sustainable ecosystems we can't create sustainable supply chains w without genuine circularity there's, uh, uh, unless the, the world's population decreases significantly, uh, it's it, it's just net net can't happen. Um, and so I think a lot of the technologies that are that are being that I, that I see on the horizon will allow us to create more circular supply chains. Uh, but that's gonna it's gonna require as much a change in 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 us as individuals and as as communities. And as businesses and as, as politicians, it has to be, you know, all of the above and more to, to make what is a very, very significant transition from a use and throw away to a circular ecosystem. Um, but I believe it will happen because it has to. Um, and that, you know, that might not be a technology, but it's a range of technologies that, that enable us to get from here to there. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. Okay, I have one, one last question for today. And that is because I know that you and your wife are both passionate about gardening, uh, as am I. So oh, my sure. question oh, she, she is. <laughs> yeah, but you, uh, 
you do as you you do you do talk about it as well a lot with a lot of passion so <laughs> what what for you okay uh, what for you would be a similarity between gardening and supply chain management uh apart from doing what you're told to do uh no i think um well so i think i mean I, when i think about gardening i, I it's a it's a, it's a I, and by the way i'm I am into it. It's taken me a few years to get there, but I'm into it now. Um, it, it's 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 fascinating because sort of it, it, it's it's where it's where man meets nature, and there's this sort of dance between nature's you know doing this bit and you're doing this bit. You've got to find the right balance because if you don't, things things go 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 badly. And I think that's it's the same with supply chains, and you, you, particularly when you think about supply chain risk management. You've got to really, you've got to respect nature in terms of what it does to supply chains, um, and 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 how we have to think more about how we interact with nature um, as, as as supply chain professionals. And I mean, that's the ultimate, the ultimate sort of localization, regionalization, is growing your own food. Imagine, imagine how the world's ecosystem would be if everyone grew their own food, or there was a you know, there was a farm or a garden in every school, or something like that. Um, and I'd, I'd love to see more of that. That was a very good answer. I'm very impressed. Um, <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, David, for today and taking the time talking with me on my podcast. Um, I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's, uh, I'm, I'm, I think it's great that you're doing this. Uh, I, I've loved the other podcasts and it was, it was great to chat. Perfect. Thank you so much. And now I wish everybody a nice day. We'll be back with a new episode very soon. But for now, bye-bye. This was Supply Chain Pioneers. Thanks for watching, listening, or however you are enjoying this podcast. You can find Supply Chain Pioneers on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all other major podcast players, as well as on YouTube at Ulf Talk Supply Chain. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment. See you next time.